history, apologetics, and current events. From the housetops, coming up next. The Liturgical Year by Abbot Garen J. Holy Church gave us, as the subject of our meditation for the first Sunday of Lent, the temptation which our Lord Jesus Christ deigned to suffer in the desert. Her object was to enlighten us with regard to our own temptations and to teach us how to conquer them. Today she wishes to complete her instruction on the power and stratagems of our invisible enemies, and for this she reads to us the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 11. At that time Jesus was casting out a devil, and the same was dumb. And when he had cast out the devil, the dumb man spoke, and the multitudes were in admiration at it. But some of them said, He casteth out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And others, tempting, asked of him a sign from heaven. But he, seeing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself shall be brought to desolation, and house upon house shall fall. And if Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that through Beelzebub I cast out devils. Now if I cast out devils by Beelzebub, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I by the finger of God cast out devils, doubtless the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his court, those things are in peace which he possesseth. But if a stronger than he come upon him and overcome him, he will take away all his armor wherein he trusted, and will distribute his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through places without water, seeking rest, and not finding, he saith, I will return to my house whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and entering in, they dwell there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. During Lent, the Christian ought to repair the past and provide for the future. But he can neither understand how it was he fell, nor defend himself against a relapse, unless he has a correct idea as to the nature of the dangers which have proved fatal, and which are again threatening him. And so, once again, we have a proof of the maternal watchfulness of the Church that she should have again proposed such a subject to us. Assuredly, we would be the most blind, the most unhappy of men, if surrounded as we are by enemies who unceasingly seek to destroy us, and are so superior to us both in power and in knowledge, we were seldom or never to think of the existence of these wicked spirits. And yet, such is really the case with innumerable Christians today, for truths are decayed from among the children of men, Psalm 11.2. So common indeed is this heedlessness and forgetfulness of truth, which the Holy Scriptures put before us in almost every page, that it is no rare thing to meet with people who ridicule the idea of devils being permitted to be on this earth of ours. They call it a prejudice, a popular superstition of the Middle Ages. Of course, they deny that it is a dogma of the faith, and when they read the history of the Church or the lives of the saints, they have their own way of explaining whatever is there related on this subject. To hear them talk, one would suppose that they look upon Satan as a mere abstract idea to be taken as the personification of evil. Are such people Christians, or have they lost their senses? One would scarcely have expected that this type of incredulity could have found its way into our age, 
when sacrilegious consultations of the devil have been, we might almost say, fashionable. Means which were used in the days of paganism have been resorted to for such consultations, and those who employed them seemed to forget or ignore that they were committing what for many centuries was considered by all Christian nations as a capital crime. But if there be one season of the year, more than another, in which the faithful ought to reflect upon what is taught as to the existence and workings of the wicked spirits, it is undoubtedly the season of Lent, when it is our duty to consider what have been the causes of our past sins, what are the spiritual dangers we have to fear for the future, and what means we should have recourse to for preventing a relapse. Let us then listen to the Holy Gospel. First, we are told that the devil had possessed a man and that the effect produced by this possession was dumbness. Our Savior cast out the devil and immediately the dumb man spoke. So that the being possessed by the devil is not only a fact which testifies to God's impenetrable justice, it is one which may produce physical effects upon them that are thus tried or punished. We say nothing about the obstinate malice of Jesus' enemies, who would have it that his power over the devils came from his being in league with the prince of devils, we would now merely show that the wicked spirits are sometimes permitted to have power over the body, and to refute by this passage from the gospel the rationalism of the modernists. Let these learn, then, that the power of our spiritual enemies is an awful reality, and let them take heed not to lay themselves open to their worst attacks, by persisting in this disdainful haughtiness of their reason. Ever since the promulgation of the gospel, the power of Satan over the human body has been restricted by the virtue of the cross, at least in Christian countries. But this power resumes its sway as often as faith and the practice of Christian piety lose their influence. And here we have the origin of all those diabolical practices which under certain scientific names are tempted first in secret, and then are countenanced by being assisted at by well-meaning Christians. Were it not that God and his church intervene, such practices as these would subvert society. Christians, remember your baptismal vow. You have renounced Satan. Take care, then, that by culpable ignorance you are not dragged into apostasy. It is not a phantom that you renounced at the baptismal font. He is a real and formidable being who, as our Lord tells us, was a murderer from the beginning. But we ought to dread the power he may be permitted to have over our bodies, if we ought to shun all exchange with him and take no part in the practices over which he presides and which are the worship he would have men give him. We ought also to fear the influence he is ever striving to exercise over our souls, See what God's grace has had to do in order to drive him from our soul. During this holy season, the church is putting within our reach those great means of victory, fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. The sweets of peace will soon be yours, and once more you will become God's temple, for both soul and body will have regained their purity. But be not deceived. Your enemy is not slain. He is irritated. Penance has driven him from you but he has sworn to return. Therefore fear a relapse into mortal sin, and in order to nourish within you this wholesome fear, meditate upon the concluding part of our gospel. Our Savior tells us that when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through places without water. There he writhes under his humiliation. 
it has added to the torture of the hell he carries everywhere with him, and to which he fain would give some alleviation by destroying souls that have been redeemed by Christ. We read in the Old Testament that sometimes, when the devils have been conquered, they have been forced to flee into some far-off wilderness. For example, the holy archangel Raphael took the devil that had killed Sarah's husbands and bound him in the desert of Upper Egypt. But the enemy of mankind never despairs of regaining his prey. His hatred is as active now as it was at the very beginning of the world, and he says, I will return into my house whence I came out. Nor will he come alone. He is determined to conquer, and therefore he will, if he think it needed, take with him seven other spirits even more wicked than himself. What a terrible assault is being prepared for the poor soul, unless she be on the watch, and unless the peace which God has granted her be one that is well armed for war. Alas, with many souls, the very contrary is the case, and our Savior describes the situation in which the devil finds them on his return. They are swept and garnished, and that is all. No precautions, no defense, no arms. One would suppose that they were waiting to give the enemy admission. Then Satan, to make his repossession sure, comes with a sevenfold force. The attack is made, but there is no resistance, and straightway the wicked spirits entering in dwell there, so that the last state becometh worse than the first, for before there was but one enemy, and now there are many. In order that we may understand the full force of the warning conveyed to us by the church in this gospel, we must keep before us the great reality that this is the acceptable time. In every part of the world there are conversions being wrought, millions are being reconciled with God. Divine mercy is lavish of pardon to all that seek it, but will all persevere. They that are now being delivered from the power of Satan, will they be free from his yoke when next year's Lent comes around? A sad experience tells the church that she may not hope for so grand a result. Many will return to their sins, and that too before many weeks are over. And if the justice of God overtake them in that state, what an awful thing it is to say, yet it is true, some, perhaps many of these sinners, will be eternally lost. Let us then be on our guard against a relapse, and in order that we may ensure our perseverance, without which it would have been to little purpose to have been for a few days in God's grace, let us watch and pray, and let us keep ourselves under arms. Let us ever remember that our whole life is to be a warfare. Our soldier-like attitude will disconcert the enemy, and he will try to gain victory elsewhere. We'll be back with more from the housetops after this break. Hi, this is Tom Price from EWTN saying thanks for listening to WQPH 89.3 FM, Catholic Radio serving Shirley, Fitchburg, and the world. So we're talking about Lent. Melissa, what is your thought about this Lent? It's been a really big year for our world, huh? Yeah, so Lent, I think, is a time to reflect, right, and also to do things more charitably. So a lot of people give up things. I think there should be things about what you can add to your life, practicing gratitude, some of those other areas where people might not necessarily think of. But I know many people give up alcohol or different types of food as well. 
So for me, I'm thinking about being more grateful for the things that I have and then where I can potentially give back either to a charity or giving more of my time to something. So if you've had a lot of sadness this year in your life and you're looking for something, I think sometimes what Melissa is suggesting is the perfect thing to give more of yourself and try to forget yourself and live for others. So we'll be talking to you after Lent to see what you all did. Hi, my name is Ned Green. I'm the director of the Shrine to Our Lady of Fatima in Brighton, Massachusetts. And I'm here to tell you about a very important event coming up. On the 25th of March, the Feast of the Annunciation, we are going to be privileged to have the International Pilgrim Statue of Our Lady of Fatima. We'd like to invite all of you there to come and see the statue. The morning will begin with Holy Mass at 9 a.m., followed by adoration and exposition. We will be processing with the statue around the grounds of the shrine and ending with benediction and a talk from the custodian, uh, Patrick Sebet, about this, the history of the statue. We will be saying the rosary as well and have a consecration to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary, along with the litany to the Blessed Virgin Mary. So I'd like to invite all of you, all your Fatima devotees, to come and join us on that day. This statue is world famous. Many people have heard about it. Uh, it has visited over 100 countries, including Russia and China, uh, bringing a great message of salvation and hope, a peace plan from heaven to countless millions of people. Uh, the custody of the mission of this statue has been granted to the World Apostle of Fatima, or Our Lady's Blue Army, which continues their journey throughout the world and many miracles have been associated with many graces. Um, there'll be an opportunity to be invested into the brown scapula, which is connected to the message of Fatima. So if any of you are curious about coming and seeing this world-famous statue who has traveled around the world to countless millions of people with miracles associated with it, come and join us for that day. Thank you. This Lent, may I suggest that you consider the fact that there is a person who is madly in love with you as an individual, so much so that he never stops thinking of you, desiring your good and yearning for you to visit him so that he can be consoled by you and so he can pour out gifts upon you more valuable than any treasure on earth. Yes, he is so deeply in love with you that he literally laid down his life for you in a very costly, bloody, painful manner. He is not indifferent as to whether you come to him. Only you can placate the thirst he experiences for you. This Lent, come to Jesus often in holy mass and adoration. How blessed you will be. I'm Jim Littleton, forming FaithfulFamilies.com. And now, WQPH presents a Lenten message from Bishop Emeritus of the Worcester Diocese, Daniel P. Riley. Try to keep God in your life. Once you become separated from God, life can go in many, many strange directions. If God is there at the center of your life, God, who is the creator of all this world, the Son of God came to redeem us and make it possible for us to live forever in the glory of heaven, in the presence of God. To keep God in the center of your life and to be aware that everything going on in the world is not good just because it's done, it's not good. 
There is such a thing as sin, and we must admit sin. Sin separates us from that love of God that is the most important gift that we can have in this life. We're living in a period of Lent right now, and I say concentrate on God's love for you and seek to love God in return. Hello, this is Marianne Lindgren with the Apostolate for Our Lady of America, and you are listening to WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Fitchburg. Let's briefly review the Church's teaching on intercessory prayer. This is important. St. Louis Marie tells us to go to Jesus through Mary. Is there any theological basis for rejecting this practice that dates from Mary's very life on earth? You will recall the wedding feast at Cana, when by Our Lady's intercession on behalf of the bride and bridegroom, Jesus changed water into wine. Even we pray for one another, sinners though we are. So why can't the saints in heaven show their concern for us and pray for us? Now, the one objection that we often hear is that there is only one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, and that is true. There is only one mediator, one and only mediator of redemption. There is only one Savior who purchased our salvation by his sufferings and his death. But that doesn't deny lesser mediation. One only has to read Apocalypse 5.8, that is the book of Revelation. And when he had opened the book, the four living creatures and the four and twenty ancients fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. So there is no valid theological or scriptural basis for rejecting the intercession of the saints and, consequently, the honor that we give to them. This being true, we can say certainly of the saints of saints, the mother of God herself, that we owe her uh, this homage of intercessory prayer and the confidence that we should have in her hearing us, her concern for us. The Manual for Total Consecration to Mary. This book contains the readings and prayers for St. Louis de Montfort's 33 days of preparation for consecrating oneself to Jesus through Mary. This manual includes complete texts from Holy Scripture, The Imitation of Christ, Montfort's writings and prayers used for total consecration, all in this one handy volume. The Slaves of the Immaculate Heart of Mary of St. Benedict's Center are pleased to make this manual available for those committing themselves to Mary for the first time or for those who wish to renew their consecration previously made. Available exclusively from St. Benedict's Center. Go to stbenedict.com gift shop and order your copy of the Manual for the Total Consecration to Mary. We continue now, True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary by St. Louis de Montfort. The first motive which shows us the excellence of this consecration of ourselves to Jesus Christ by the hands of Mary is that it devotes us entirely to the service of God. If we can conceive on earth no employment more lofty than the service of God, if the least servant of God is richer, more powerful, and more noble than all the kings and emperors of this earth, unless they also are the servants of God, What must be the riches, the power, and the dignity of the faithful and perfect servant of God, who is devoted to his service entirely and without reserve, to the utmost extent possible, 
Such is the faithful and loving slave of Jesus and Mary, who has given himself up entirely to the service of that King of Kings by the hands of his Holy Mother, and has reserved nothing for himself. Not all the gold of earth, nor all the beauties of the heavens, can repay him. The other congregations, associations, and confraternities erected in honor of our Lord and His Holy Mother, which do so much good, do not make us give everything without reserve. They prescribe to their members only certain practices and actions to satisfy their obligations. They leave them free for all other actions, moments, and occupations. But this devotion makes us give to Jesus and Mary without reserve all our thoughts, words, actions, and sufferings every moment of our life. And so whether we wake or sleep, whether we eat or drink, whether we do great actions or very little ones, it is always true to say that whatever we do, even without thinking of it, it is, by virtue of our offering, done for Jesus and Mary, at least if it has not been intentionally retracted. What a consolation for us! Moreover, as has already been said, there is no other practice equal to this for enabling us to rid ourselves easily of a certain proprietorship which imperceptibly creeps into our best actions. Our good Jesus gives us this great grace in recompense for the heroic and disinterested action of giving over to him by the hands of his holy mother all the value of our good works. If he gives a hundredfold even in this world to those who for his love quit outward, temporal, and perishable goods, what will that hundredfold be which he will give to the man who sacrifices for him even his inward and spiritual goods? Jesus, our great friend, has given himself to us without reserve, body and soul, virtues, graces, and merits. He has bought the whole of me with the whole of himself, says St. Bernard. Is it not then a simple matter of justice and of gratitude that we give him all that we can? He has been the first to be liberal towards us. Let us at least be the second. And then in life and death and throughout eternity we shall find him still more generous. With the liberal he will be liberal. The second motive which shows us how just it is in itself and how advantageous to Christians to consecrate themselves entirely to Jesus Christ by his Holy Mother is that it makes us imitate the example of Jesus Christ and of the Holy Trinity and practice humility. This good master did not disdain to shut himself up in the womb of the Blessed Virgin as a captive and as a loving slave and later to be subject and obedient to her for thirty years. It is here, I repeat, that the human mind loses itself when it seriously reflects on the conduct of the incarnate wisdom who willed to give himself to men, not directly, though he might have done so, but through the Blessed Virgin. He did not will to come into the world at the age of a perfect man, independent of others, but like a poor little babe, dependent on the care and support of his Holy Mother. He is that infinite wisdom who had a boundless desire to glorify God his Father and to save men, and yet he found no more perfect means, no shorter way to do it, than to submit himself in all things to the Blessed Virgin, not only during the first eight, ten, or fifteen years of his life like other children, but for thirty years. He gave more glory to God his Father during all that time of submission to and dependence on our Blessed Lady than he would have given him if he had employed those thirty years in working miracles, in preaching to the whole world, and in converting all men, all of which he would have done, could he have thereby contributed more to God's glory. Oh, how highly we glorify God when after the example of Jesus we submit ourselves to Mary.
Having then before our eyes an example so plain and so well known to the whole world, are we so senseless as to imagine that we can find a more perfect or shorter means of glorifying God than that of submitting ourselves to Mary after the example of her Son? Let us recall here, as a proof of the dependence we ought to have on our Blessed Lady, the example which the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost give of this dependence. The Father has not given and does not give His Son, except by her. He has no children but by her, and communicates no graces but through her. The Son has not been formed for the whole world in general except by her, and He is not daily formed and engendered except by her, in union with the Holy Ghost. Neither does He communicate His merits and His virtues except through her. The Holy Ghost has not formed Jesus Christ except by her, neither does he form the members of our Lord's mystical body except by her, and through her alone does he dispense his favors and his gifts. After so many and such pressing examples of the Most Holy Trinity, can we without extreme blindness dispense with Mary? Can we fail to consecrate ourselves to her and depend on her for the purpose of going to God and sacrificing ourselves to God? Here are some passages of the Fathers which prove what has been said. Origin and St. Bonaventure. Mary has two sons, a God-man and a pure man. She is mother of the first corporally and of the second spiritually. St. Bernard. This is the will of God, who wished us to have all things through Mary. If, therefore, there is in us any hope, any grace, any salutary gift, we know it comes to us through her. St. Bernardine of Siena. All the gifts, virtues, and graces of the Holy Ghost are distributed by Mary, to whom she wishes, when she wishes, the way she wishes, and as much as she wishes. And again, St. Bernard, since you were unworthy to receive the divine graces, they were given to Mary, so that whatever you would have, you would have received through her. God, says St. Bernard, seeing that we are unworthy to receive his graces immediately from his own hand, gives them to Mary in order that we may have through her what he wills to give us. And he also finds his glory in receiving through the hands of Mary the gratitude, respect, and love which we owe him for his benefits. It is most just, then, that we imitate this conduct of God, in order, as the same St. Bernard says, that grace should return to the giver by the same channel through which it came. This is precisely what our devotion does, we offer and consecrate all we are and all we have to the Blessed Virgin in order that our Lord may receive through her mediation the glory and the gratitude which we owe him. We acknowledge ourselves unworthy and unfit to approach his infinite majesty by ourselves, and it is on this account that we avail ourselves of the intercession of the Most Holy Virgin. Moreover, this devotion is a practice of great humility, which God loves above all the other virtues. A soul which exalts itself abases God. A soul which abases itself exalts God. God resists the proud and gives his grace to the humble. If you abase yourself, thinking yourself unworthy to appear before him and to draw nigh to him, he descends and lowers himself to come to you, to take pleasure in you, and to exalt you in spite of yourself. On the contrary, when you are bold enough to approach God without a mediator, God flies from you and you cannot reach him. Oh, how he loves humility of heart! It is to this humility that this devotion induces us, because it teaches us never to draw nigh of ourselves to our Lord, however sweet and merciful he may be, but always to avail ourselves of the intercession of our Blessed Lady, 
whether it be to appear before God, or to speak to Him, or to draw near to Him, or to offer Him anything, or to unite and consecrate ourselves to Him. From the House Stops is produced by the slaves of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, Still River, Massachusetts.